Well, find Exodus chapter 3 and 4. In fact, we're going to be at different places in 1, 2, 3, and 4. But find uh, 3 and 4. Uh, talking tonight about the sufficiency of God. The sufficiency of God. Exodus chapter 3. And uh, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. 
So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Let's stop there for now. Again, talking this evening about the sufficiency of God. Now folks, I want you to think with me for a moment about another passage in Scripture for uh, illustration purposes, a passage that comes out of the New Testament. Paul writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says there. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said let, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Isn't it wonderful how God uses people? To accomplish his purposes. God uses people. To accomplish his purposes. And he uses weak people at that. And aren't you glad he does? Because if he didn't none of us would qualify. God uses people. Weak people to accomplish his work. Folks we need to remember that God is very much at work in his world. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 5 said the Father is working and I am working unto this very hour. What I see the Father do, that is what I'm doing. God is at work in his world. We see this beginning in the Old Testament. We see it time and time again. God raised up a nation beginning with the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. They were to be a light to the nations. Uh, through Joseph, we see that God spared many people among Israel and among the Egyptians. And so they had already been a light to the nations in a sense. But we open up the book of Exodus and right away a new scenario is being set up for us. Look back at chapter 1 for a moment 
And pick up reading with me for a moment in verse 6, and then I want to highlight verse 8. It says, Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now listen to this next verse. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. You get the impression that something is about to happen here, don't you? And indeed it is. Because of their increase, the Egyptians put them in bondage. And they cry out to God. In chapter 2, we see that God is at work. He begins working to prepare for their deliverance. He raises up Moses. It's amazing how God works. And how when God is getting ready to do something, He is preparing the circumstances and the events and the people ahead of time. You've probably been able to look back in your life and see how when God did something in and through you, when God called you to do something, you could, you could look in your past and see how God was preparing you to do that, right? Even before you knew that God was going to call you to do something in particular, now that He's called you, you're able to look back and you're able to see how God was working in your life even before you knew what He was about to call you to do. God is sovereign. That's what he did with Moses. Moses in chapter 3 was about his own business and he didn't even realize what was about to transpire. He did not even realize that God was about to call him for a divine purpose. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is that Moses, when this all happens, Moses doubts himself. Moses doubts himself. Verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 11, of course, comes in the context of the first 10 verses. And in those first 10 verses, we see how God is listening. God is attentive to the heart cries of His people. They have been crying out to God in desperation and in great need. And God is not blind to their situation. He is not blind to their circumstances. He is not blind to their slavery and their bondage. God sees what is going on. God doesn't turn His back on a hurting world. In Genesis 3, we, we saw that God made skins for Adam and Eve and covered their nakedness and dealt with their sin. 
In Genesis 6, we, we saw that God preserved Noah and his family. In Genesis 12, that I just mentioned a moment ago, we saw that God called Abraham. All through the Bible, we notice that God sees man's need. And when he sees man's need and man's lostness, he does something about it. He intervenes. And when God intervenes, God calls men and women. God calls people to be his servants in whom and through whom he will work to do something about the situation. And that's why Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 9, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that God would raise up more people to send them into his harvest. God could do it without us. But God doesn't. He sends you and I into his harvest. God intervenes, but he raises us up to do something through us. God commissions Moses and he commissions us. Folks, when God looks at lostness in the world and he looks at human misery, that calls for ministry and so again he sends us. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, We are ambassadors for Christ, and God is making His appeal through us, and He has committed to us both the word of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. We need to get a vision for that. We need to get a vision for being servants. Jesus said if somebody's going to be great in the eyes of God, they've got to be a servant and they've got to be the last of all. Are we servants? But you know oftentimes when we, when we are available to be servants, how do we feel about ourselves? We feel inadequate, don't we? Just like Moses did. After all, who is worthy for this, folks? Who is worthy? Moses certainly didn't feel worthy. And so he begins asking God a series of questions. And the questions that Moses asked God reflect something about the nature of the struggle that Moses is having in his heart. He had questions about his own identity. He had questions about God's identity and power. And he had questions about how the people would respond to him. Question number one. Question number one. Look at it again, verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses is questioning whether or not he's the right man for the job. Now that's a logical question, isn't it? 
because what had happened to Moses that might make him question this. Yes. He had tried to take matters into his own hands and killed the man. And, and so, you know, when he escaped to Midian, Pharaoh was already looking for him to kill him. So already he knows that his face is plastered on every post office wall in Egypt, right? So God, are you sure I'm the, I'm the right one to go back in and deal with this? I mean, after all, Pharaoh is looking to kill me. I'm the most wanted in the land. I'm a marked man. Plus, he felt inadequate. After all, what's been his work for the past 40 years? Tending sheep on the backside of the wilderness. And so his question to God was, God, who am I? Now, don't misunderstand the question. Moses is not having an identity crisis. I've got a feeling that if you have just spent the last 40 years in the desert tending Jethro's flock, you've had time to get in touch with yourself, right? Moses had lots and lots of time to think about his life. But Moses' question focuses on his personal identity in the sense of his ability, his adequacy. In other words, God, I'm not sure I've got what it takes. Are you sure I'm the right man? I think somebody else would would be more capable. Somebody else would be more gifted. And again, God, I've given it my best shot. I killed that Egyptian. So I've tried already. But the difference was back then he was trying to do it in his strength. He was 40 years ahead of God. And so now perhaps he's feeling, well, I failed back then. I'm just going to fail again. And so this first question addresses that. He sees barriers. Don't we do the same, though? We make all kinds of excuses, don't we? All kinds of excuses. Too often times when confronted with opportunities to serve, all we see is the potential barriers. And we make up all kinds of scenarios and say, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. You can what if something to death, can't you? Some churches do the same. They say, well, what if? What if we go here and do this and get involved in that? Or what, what if? What if it costs too much? What if, what if it doesn't work? What if? We see it happening in the Old Testament over and over, don't we? The spies that go into the land, ten of them come back. We can't do that. What if? What if we come up against them? They're giants. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. We're no match for them. They came up with all these what if scenarios that they were assuming that they were going to fail. 
Think about what's going on here. Moses is looking at his life up against Pharaoh. Now, in Egyptian life, the Pharaohs were seen as gods. And so Moses would have been going against a leader that the people placed on a pedestal. And here was Moses. He's just been a shepherd. And to top it all off, the Egyptians despise shepherds. So here Moses is a shepherd that the people despise going up against Pharaoh whom the people see as a god. What, what kind of match is that? And so Moses just feels like he's surely the wrong man for the job. Right. Sure. Sure. Men, as a general rule, try to sense a self worth oftentimes by their occupation. By their work. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. So lots of feelings of inadequacy going on here. Now, what was God's answer to Moses? What was God's answer to Moses' feelings of inadequacy? God says, I will be with you. Look at verse 12. He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God's presence. Yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. When, when I brought you to this mountain, you'll worship God here. Not if I bring you, but when, because it's going to happen. But, I mean, there's Joshua, the same thing, right? God says to Joshua, Joshua, be strong. I will be with you. Joshua chapter 1, when Joshua takes over for Moses, again, God's answer to Joshua is my presence will be with you. Jesus in the Great Commission tells us we're to go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what's the promise? And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And so when God calls us to do something, and God gives us instructions to do something, and we feel inadequate and like we're not equal for the task, God's answer is that we need to remember His presence. We're not doing it in our strength. We're doing it in God's strength. And He's with us every step of the way. If He wasn't, we would fail. When you start saying, God, who am I? I can't. Why me? Remember God's presence. Whatever God has called you to do and equipped you to do, God will be with you. Second thing I want you to see tonight, Moses doubts God. It's getting worse. 
Moses doubts God. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses' question is, Who are you? It seems that it seems to me that Moses is probably just just stalling. He's just stalling. But he's imagining what it might be like if he says yes to God and goes. He's thinking, okay, God, you won that last question. I see that you're going to go with me and you'll be my strength. But who is it that's going with me? And what am I supposed to tell them when they ask? And so he's asking God for his identity, his name. You see, to the people of this time in the Old Testament, especially to the Hebrews, a name meant something. A name said something about your identity and your character. Moses' name is an example. Moses means drawn out of the water. I think of the name Jacob, which meant what? Hill grabber or trickster, right? And God changed Jacob's name to Israel, one who's going to be a, a prince with God. Names meant something. And so Moses is wanting to know something about God by wanting God to identify himself by his name. Who should I tell them is sending me? And so what's God's response to this? He reveals his name in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now there are a couple of things about God's response that I want you to see. First of all, there is a bit of mystery to this name. A bit of mystery. To the Hebrew, to know somebody's name meant that you could exercise some kind of power over them. And so to know somebody's name meant that you already had an inside track on them. And so what God is saying in a sense here is my name is so great you can't fully comprehend it and you can't fully comprehend me. But while there's a bit of mystery in this, God is also revealing something about himself to Moses. As Moses and the Israelites walk with God and grow in their understanding of God day by day, they're going to see that God indeed is the great I Am. The one who is all sufficient for any and all circumstances. They will know him as the deliverer. They will know him as their savior. They will know him as their creator, their sustainer. The one who is sovereign over their lives. God is essentially saying to Moses, I am going to be all of that. I'm going to be everything you need, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be everything your people need. Moses, there's not one name. There's not one name that can capture all of my essence and all of my nature and character. There's not one single name. 
But Moses, I want you to know that whatever you come up against, I am what I am and I will be what I will be. I will be there to help you with whatever you need. And you will find me sufficient. The stress is upon the absolute adequacy of God. That's what's being emphasized in this name. I am. I am what I am or I will be. You can translate the Hebrew also, I will be what I will be. I am what I am or I will be what I will be. Uh, and, and, the, and what's being emphasized again is God's total adequacy and sufficiency. There is nothing God's servants face that God is not adequate for. And so when God calls us and invites us to serve Him, we need to remember that. He's all we need to get the job done. What did Jesus say about Himself? Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the door into the sheepfold. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. In other words, he's all sufficient. He's the great I am. Third thing I want you to see, Moses doubts his success. Moses doubts his success. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the God, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the uh, later sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So again, Moses is questioning his success. What if they won't believe me? What if they won't listen? What if they won't believe that you have really appeared to me? And what was God's response? God pointed to the staff that Moses had in his hand and he had a lesson for Moses in that. And he had a lesson with Moses' hand that he made leprous. What's, what's in your hand? 
What is God able to take that you have and transform it into something that he can use for his purposes? Right? What's God give us today? Well, the first thing he gives every born-again child of God is a changed life. A new life in Christ. Right? Isn't that something that God can use for his purposes? You betcha. You remember the Gerasene demoniac who wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus said, No, what you need to do is you need to go back and tell your people the great things that God has done for you. His people would see a changed life in him. Along with the changed life, what else does God give you? God gives you a testimony. Folks, even Christians that, that struggle to know what they have that they can offer to God, they have a testimony. If you're a Christian, you have a testimony. You have something that you can use for God. You may not feel like you're a teacher or you may not feel like you have great resources to give or you may not feel like you can go to the mission field or whatever, but you got a testimony that you can use for God. And God can take that testimony and use it in a tremendous way. The transformation that he's done in you as you witness of that and people see that transformation that God's done in your life, just simple things, things right in front of your nose and my nose that God can use. The staff and the hand, just simple things right in front of Moses' nose. And God was saying, God was basically saying, Moses, I use the smallest things. The smallest things, they're right in front of your face. If you'll just surrender them over to me and let me use them. The lesson for Moses was that he simply needed to make available to God what God had provided for him. Folks, take what you have and yield it to God. Take what you have and who you are and yield it to God. Put it at his feet. Moses had to throw that staff down. Whatever you have, just put it at God's feet. Let God change it and use it. And see what God can do with it. It's, it's stuff right in front of your face. Abilities that you have. Things that God's given you. Abilities and resources that God's given you that if you will only use those for His purposes, God can take those and do great things through them. Make it available to God. So what's some lessons we learn from this? Lesson number one, God walks with us. He will be with us. God walks with us. He will be with us. We have the promise of His presence. 
Second lesson is that God is all sufficient to meet your needs. God is all sufficient to meet your needs. And then thirdly, make available what you have for him. Make available what you have for him. God walks with us. He'll be with us. His presence. He's all sufficient to meet your every need. Make available what you have. Yield it up to him for him to use and see what he'll do with it.